As our children make their way to Children's Church, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 6 as we continue the second week of our series of sermons uh, entitled The Cross of Christ. And this morning we talk about In Christ Alone. Galatians chapter 6, and we'll read one verse of scripture there, verse number 14, that says, this is Paul writing uh, to the church at Galatians. He says, but far be it from me to boast, except, excuse me, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Father, thank you for the uh, scriptures this morning. Thank you for the worship, the praise that has been lifted to you. Thank you for the songs that remind us uh, the same thing that we'll be looking at in our sermon this morning. That it's in Christ alone. And it was in um, his love and his mercy and his grace. And Father, thank you for the plan that you had in place for us from the beginning to redeem us through the cross of Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In a couple of weeks, I will be able to celebrate 25 years since the moment when I made a public profession of faith that I had, be, uh, I had asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and that I had put my faith and trust in him for eternity and that I wanted to follow him for the rest of my life. It seems like just yesterday, but it was uh, almost 25 years ago, that first week in April. And one of the first things that I did after I made that decision public and after I let people know that I was following Jesus Christ, I got in touch with a friend of mine that I went to school with, um, a friend of mine named Tony Clark, who was a member here at Piedmont First Baptist Church. His his mom and dad moved here when I was in the sixth grade. His dad, Reagan, was a football coach here. And so uh, we became friends there in the sixth grade. And we were friends all throughout high school and even on and through college. But when Tony moved here in the sixth grade, he began to share Christ with me all the time. And not only did he share Christ with me, but he lived an example in front of me whether we were at school or we worked together later on when we were in high school, we worked together at the old Winn-Dixie in the old shopping plaza, and we spent a lot of time together, a lot of hours together. We, we hung out together out of school and out of work. And Tony would constantly share Christ with me, and he shared it in a loving, compassionate, and kind way, and he talked to me about how I needed to be converted to, to Christ. And, and it was uh, always a topic of conversation with Tony. So after I uh, became a Christian, and those we hadn't seen each other in several years, he and his wife Mona had moved uh, outside of Atlanta, and we hadn't uh, seen each other in quite a while. And it was, it was right before our 10-year class anniversary. But one of the first things I did was I called Tony, and I let him know the decision that I had made and, and how I'd given my life to Christ and I wanted him to know the impact that he had had on me when we were younger and, 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 and all through school and his witness to me. And about a week or two later, in the mail, I got a letter from he and his wife, Mona. And inside the letter was a small cross, just a small golden cross. 
And it was a pin on cross. And back then I wore a cap a lot. And they told me about how that cross was just a, a reminder to me of my new life in Christ and how that, um, what Christ had done for me on the cross and how it would just be a silent witness for me that I wear that cross and someone asked me about it, then I would have the opportunity to tell them about what Christ had done for me. So I wore that cross, and it meant so much to me, but in the course of all these years, I don't know where it is now. We moved once, and uh, we have more stuff in storage than any, any people that you could ever imagine. But I still think about that and that symbol and what it meant to me that how someone all those years later still cared and loved me. And so maybe you have something like that. Maybe you have a cross or a Bible or a bookmark or something that's special to you that same way that reminds you of a time in your life where you gave your life to Christ and where you found forgiveness uh, with God through what Christ had done for you at the cross. And so this morning, as we continue looking at where we are, we remember that all throughout the Gospels and all throughout the New Testament, the cross... The cross of Christ is seen as the most significant symbol of our faith in Christ. Jesus spoke plainly of us taking up our cross and following him every day. Paul makes reference to Christ's crucifixion numerous times throughout his writings to the different churches as the only means, the only way of our salvation. So today as we continue looking at the cross of Christ, we look and we see the many different aspects, and we, we look at the fact that there is the offense of the cross to many people. Now, there are some things that unite people that may have never, ever come together about any other subject. There are, we live in a nation of diversity. We live in a nation of different cultures and different uh, ways of life. But there are times where even in all of that, our nation and the people of, of, of our nation come together and we unite. It's happened before in, in the last century with, with World War I, World War II, different things. But in, in our recent lifetime, after September the 11th, the attacks in New York City and in Washington, D.C., it didn't matter what walk of life you were from or what faith you were from or who you were, we all seem to come together and be united as one people, solidly together. And there are times that we look at the history of the, where we are in the Scriptures here in the New Testament. There are two groups of people that are prominent there in all of the writings that we see. There are the Jews who Jesus uh, came for, the, the nation of Israel, the people of Palestine there, and the people that he came to redeem. And there are the Romans who controlled them, who had came in and who had conquered Palestine and who had exerted their authority over the Jews who lived there. And we see that they have very little in common. The Romans had built a great empire that rested solely on their political power and their military strength. And it all centered around the city in Rome. The Jewish people, their lives centered around their religion. And their, everything centered around their city and their temple there in Jerusalem. We, uh, the Jewish, uh, their, their, their whole life revolved around that. Rome had many temples to many gods. We see in Acts chapter 17 when Paul goes to the city of Athens either, even 
when he goes there and he begins to uh, talk to the people there, they're in a pantheon, and there are hundreds of gods that they have uh, there that they are worshiping. They even have a, a god, a, a symbol there to an unknown god, just in case they left anybody out. But the Jews have a temple in Jerusalem, and they worship, they have only one temple, and they worship only one God. But there was some common ground between them. And one of those, one of these, the things that they found in common was that they were both offended by the cross. Both groups of people are offended by the cross. Um, Paul writes about this. He writes about it from a Jewish perspective in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. He says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The Jews thought that only the most vile, sinful, evil person was hung upon a cross. And that if they were hung there, it was a symbol that God himself had cursed them. He writes also from the perspective of the Romans in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly or foolishness to Gentiles. And both of these groups, when they looked at Jesus and they looked at Jesus going to a cross, and they looked at Jesus and, and they had heard him declared the king of the Jews, and they, they looked at him and they saw him going to a cross, both of these groups of people thought that it was foolish for anyone who would proclaim to be a king to voluntarily go and, and face a cross. The Roman Cicero wrote, let the very name of the cross be far away, not only from the body of a Roman citizen, but even from his thoughts, his eyes, and his ears. The Romans reserved crucifixion for slaves, for the thieves, the two thieves who were hung on the crosses out beside Jesus, for assassins and for people who led rebellions against the Roman government. And it was very rare for a Roman citizen to ever be executed by crucifixion. We see this bear out in the New Testament after the Gospels when we see that Paul, who was a Roman citizen, was beheaded. But Simon Peter, who was a Jew, was crucified. So we see that it was a, a, an absolute thing of disgust to a citizen of Rome. And crucifixions were a common sight to people who lived in this region. The Romans kept the people in line by publicly showing them the consequences for what would happen to them if they didn't stay within the rules of their government. And as soon as the sentence of crucifixion was handed down, that condemned person was flogged with a leather whip that was loaded with metal and bone, and it was so cruel that it became known as the intermediate death. That person was then required to shoulder the crossbar on which they were going to be extended and carry it to the place of crucifixion. To make them further shamed, around their neck they would put a sign that would tell what their crime was. And there at the execution spot, they would be stripped and nailed to the crossbar and then fastened to an upright post. There would be a foot peg for them to rest their foot upon, and for hours or maybe days, 
they would be there hanging in the most slow and excruciating death that could ever be imagined. And so almost every Jew and every Roman who lived in Palestine had witnessed the horror of a crucifixion. So imagine, imagine the shock to the many, many followers of Jesus when Jesus said these words that we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It was a shock to the people who heard this. It, it took them back. It made them step back all of a sudden and look at who they were following and say to themselves, is it really worth following this man who is saying that I have to take up what, what we're executed upon, what I have to take that, and I have to take it up every day just to follow him? And they begin to question themselves, and they begin to talk among each other and say, what do these things mean? To the point that we see in John chapter 6 and verse 66, that the Bible tells us that many or most of the people who were following Jesus began to turn away from him after he began to declare these types of things. So we see, first of all, that the cross was a very offensive thing to the people that Jesus and Paul had talked to. But then we see this. We, we see that the only hope that we have is in the cross. The only hope that we have in this life is in the cross. When Paul says it here in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul takes this cross. He takes this cross that all the rest of the world looks at as ugly and demoralizing. He takes this cross that everyone else looks at as being shameful and being disgusted and cruel and unspeakable. And he describes it this way. He says, it is the only thing in this life that I would ever boast about. You think about that. A man writing these words who had been shipwrecked, who had been beaten, who had established churches all throughout the, the known world, a man who, could, uh, who was the greatest missionary and evangelist who ever lived, a man who had all of these things, a man who was chosen by God personally to be the apostle to the, to the whole Gentile world. And he said, there's no way that I would boast in anything about me. The only thing in this whole world that I would ever boast about is the cross of Jesus Christ and what it has done for my life. Now, Paul is at the end of his letter, and he emphasizes to the Galatians. In verse number 11, he says, I want you to know that I personally am writing this letter. No one else is writing this letter. Look how large the print is. Paul was going blind at this time, and he wanted them to realize he was suffering from great uh, problems with his eyesight, and he wanted them to realize that he was so passionate about this that he didn't even want to speak it to someone else for them to write down. He wanted them to write it down himself. And so he begins to talk to them here at the end of this letter. He's emphasizing these things. He's driving home his appeal to them that Jesus Christ and his death on the cross is enough for their salvation. Now there's a group of false teachers that have come in to Galatia. They've come into the church and they're called Judaizers. 
And what they have done is they have taken the message that Paul and the other apostles have been preaching, the gospel of Jesus, which was faith in Christ through, through his death, burial, and resurrection, and they had begun to add Jewish customs to it. They had begun to tell the people, that is good that you're following this teaching, but also you should be following some of the Jewish customs that we follow. One of the main ones of those being circumcision. And so Paul is driving home to them that what these people had been teaching them is wrong. And that salvation was found uh, nowhere else but, but in Christ. And so Paul reminds the Galatians that Christianity is this. Christianity is about an inward change. Christianity is about a forgiveness in our soul. Christianity is about something that happens when we ask God to forgive us of our sins and he cleanses us inside. And Paul says that it is so significant and it is so life-changing that we don't have to rely on these outward observances. In verse number 12, he says that these false teachers, they want to make a good impression outwardly. You see, some people don't want to believe that they are too weak and too sinful to contribute to their own salvation. Some people want to believe that they are, are, are strong enough and good enough to be their own salvation. But the gospel is offensive because the cross stands against all schemes of self-salvation. You remember those people when you were a kid? Maybe from kindergarten all the way through high school, you had these people that you knew. And all the way through school, every time they did something, it didn't matter how big or how small, if they did something, they were a hand in the air, waving and saying, hey, hey, look at me, look at what I did. You remember those kids? I hope you weren't that kid. I'm trying not to offend anybody. But there were those people who always wanted to say, look at what I did. You know, that's the opinion of the world when it comes to salvation. The opinion of world religions and the opinion of most people in the world, the world likes religion. And the world likes morality. But the world is offended by the cross because it takes their works and their self-boasting out of the equation. And as a result, people who love the cross are looked down upon and persecuted. Timothy Keller makes this observation about Paul's writing in Galatians chapter 6. He says this, Ultimately, Paul says, the heart of your religion is what you boast in. What, at bottom, is the reason that you think you are in a right relationship with God? Now, here's that sophomoric question that we ask sometimes. If you, but it's, it's a very, very important question. If we were standing at the gates of heaven, and on the other side they ask us, why should we let you in to God's heaven? What would our response be? Most people in the world's response would rely on who? Would rely on themselves. They would talk about what a good person they are. They would talk about what a moral person they are. They would talk about, I talk to people all the time who tell me, I've done this much good and I've done this much bad and surely 
I'm a better person and, and I'll be all right when I meet God in eternity because I've done much more good than I have bad. But that's not the gospel. That's not what the gospel says. You see, religion causes me to boast in something about me. Religion causes me to say that I did something to earn this. I've been challenged in the last couple of weeks about my belief in my, in, in my belief that Jesus is, is the way, the truth, and the, and the life, and it, it is a, that salvation is a free gift of God through faith, through faith by grace, and it's not about works lest any man should boast. I've been challenged hard on that in the last couple of weeks. I've been told that it's about, it's about Jesus and my baptism. I've been told it's about Jesus and the way I dress, or Jesus and the do's and the don'ts and the ifs. I've been told that it's about Jesus and all these other things. And it's not dependent on the finished work of Christ alone, but my ability to add to it. It's almost as if people say, the cross needs my help. The cross needs me to help alone. God's plan of salvation needs my help along the way. But here's the, dis the, here's the difference. When our, when our faith is the way that Paul's is in the cross of Christ, the gospel leads me to boast in the cross that Jesus was crucified on. Religion causes me to boast about myself, but the true gospel leads me to boast in what Jesus did and causes me to want to uh, glorify Jesus and what Jesus has done. Because of the cross, I can be confident and secure in my salvation and my relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what if it were relying on me? What if my salvation were relying on me? Guess what it would be? It would be a disaster. It would be a disaster. Because you know who I am? I'm somebody who's going to fail, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to mess up, and I'm going to mess up, and I'm going to mess up. But Jesus saved me from my sins, and, and, and my faith and my trust is in Jesus and in his taking control of my life and causing to point out to me through the Holy Spirit when I am not in, in right order with him and causing me to go to him and ask him to correct me when I'm wrong. But see, the gospel is summed up in this incredible statement. Just look at it again there in verse number 14. Paul says that far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ Nothing else. I can't boast in anything else. And here's what happens. When we understand this, when we get this, and when we grasp this, you know what we become? We become very humble people. We become very humble people before the Lord God when we grasp that we know that there is a plan for our salvation, that God's Son, Jesus Christ, provided for us through the cross of crucifixion. And when we grasp this, we are no longer trying to look or be religious, but we're motivated. We're motivated by an overwhelming sense of gratitude to live a life that pleases God through the power of God's Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of us. So it's about, Paul says, it's about Jesus. And it's about his cross. And it's about him. And because of that, he says the world is behind me, and the cross of Christ is what is before me. Paul says that the world has been crucified 
to me. Paul is saying that the whole entire world, the world in all its glory, and the world that stands in opposition to God, all those things are dead in their power to attract me and to want me to live the way that the world lives. It has no power to appeal to us when our faith is in Christ. The world is full of enticements. The world wants us to look and appear a certain way. In the world we live in now, the world wants us to appear to be wealthy. It doesn't matter what our job is. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what walk of life we come from. The world wants us to look wealthy. And guess what the world does to us in order to get us to look wealthy? It gets us in debt that just smothers us and strangles us and, and becomes uh, the God of our life. Because we want to appear the way that the people that we see in the world appear. The world appeals to us and says that we should be accepted. We want to be accepted. And to be accepted, what sometimes do we have to, we would have to lay down? We would have to lay down our beliefs and, the, and our, our love for Christ and our love for the things of, of, of God because to be accepted by the world, we'd have to lay some of those things aside to become more like the world and to be accepted. But the way we overcome those things is to ask God to crucify our interest in them the same way that Paul did. Paul said that the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now here's some things that I have to crucify in my own life in, in, in living for Christ. I have to crucify my self-righteousness. I have to get rid of the pride in my life and thinking that I am good enough to please God on my own. Because guess what? I'm not. You take me out of a relationship with Jesus Christ for five minutes, and I am as despicable and horrible and as unlovable and as unmanageable as anybody you'd ever want to meet. But guess what? He holds me and keeps me, and he says it's not about you. You're a sinner who needs God's grace, and you need my righteousness in your life, and you can't trust in, in anything other than me. It also cost me the sins that I loved before. And I had to be willing to crucify everything in my life that doesn't please God. And I have to fight that sin and see it as what it really is. It's a deadly enemy that seeks to destroy me. And here's one that's hard for a lot of people. I had to crucify the love of an easy life. You know what an easy life is? You know, what, you know when my life was easy? My life was easy when I was living how I wanted to live it. My life was easy before I submitted my life to Christ and said, you're in charge now. Because guess what? When I was in charge, I did what I wanted to do. And it was easy. I made my own decisions, and they were easy. Because what do we do when we make our own decisions? We go the path of least resistance, don't we? We take the easy way in life. But guess what? Sometimes as a believer, sometimes as a follower of Christ, sometimes 
people have the notion that, that when we give our lives to Christ that everything after that is just going to be uh, sunshine and rainbows and everything's going to be just perfect every day. And guess what? Sometimes there's hardships and sometimes there's trouble. and Sometimes it's not easy. But you know what's so wonderful about it? There's never one moment when I'm alone. There's never one moment when I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's never a moment where I'm alone. Christ follows, goes with me all the way, and at the end of this life, I will someday collapse into his arms, and he'll say, welcome. Or my, my hope is he'll say, welcome, good and faithful servant. And then it costs you, sometimes we have to crucify our love of being in favor with the world we live in. Sometimes because we, we, we love Christ and sometimes because we live uh, a biblical life the way that Christ has, has, has designed for us, sometimes that causes us to be at odds with the world. And sometimes we're going to face the scorn and the, uh, the animosity of the world that we live in. Sometimes because we belong to Jesus, people may do us wrong or treat us unfairly. But we don't look, Jesus said that, uh, John says in, in, the, in the scriptures we've been studying on Sunday night, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Jesus said, I have overcome the world. So we don't have to worry about those things, but we have to be willing to lay those things down. And to crucify them. Paul tells us that Christianity makes a difference in our manner of life and in our manner of conversation. He says that the Holy Spirit will clean us and help us overcome the sins that tempt us so often. The Holy Spirit is who will give us power to lay down those old sins and to crucify them daily. The things that I once hated, I now love, and the things that I once loved, I now hate. I don't want to be a part of a sinful life anymore because I realize what Christ has done for me. So we take up our cross daily and we follow Jesus as our master and we have a desire to serve him. There is an unnatural desire, uh, an uncommon desire compared to the world in a Christian of self-sacrifice and service to other people. When we understand what Christ has done for us and we understand the, the lengths that he went to for our salvation, it makes us as a Christian look at every other person we see and realize that that person is more important than I am. And realize that, that every person we see is a soul and every person we see is as deserving of grace and uh, God's grace and Christ's righteousness as we were. And that we should be mindful of that each and every day. And we should serve and we should share. We should tell others about what Christ has done for us. It wasn't natural for me. I could talk to anybody. Someone told me this morning they, they had to speak somewhere and they said if I'm sitting at a table with a group of other, uh, of other people that I know, I can talk to them for hours. 
But if I had to get up in front of a lot of people, I, 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 I lose every thought that I had when I, when I stood up to talk. Listen, it was unnatural for me to want to sit around and talk about the things that I've talked about this morning. It was unnatural to me before I asked for forgiveness of my sins and I asked Christ to be my Lord. It was unnatural for me to sit and talk about the things that Christ provided and the things that Christ had done. Now, I would love to sit and talk to you about Bible trivia because I went to Sunday school all my childhood. And I knew a lot of trivia, but I didn't know inside my heart what it really was to follow Christ. I didn't know inside my soul what it was to really understand God's grace and that God had provided a way for me to be with him in eternity and not be separated from him at the end of this life for eternity. And that way was through the cross of Christ. And if there was no other way except through that, that I could find forgiveness. But this morning, it's natural for me to want to tell you that. It's natural. It's a part of my nature to want to tell you that God took me as a worthless individual who deserved hell. And through his mercy and his grace, he forgave me of my sins and gave me a home in heaven. And no matter what I face in this life, no matter what trial or tribulation, in the greatest times and in the most sorrowful times, he's with me every step of the way. And there may be moments, there may be moments when I feel alone in this life and I feel like I'm all by myself, but I can pick up the scripture and I can read over and over the promises of Christ where he said that he would never leave me or forsake me but he would go with me all the way to the end of this life. We're coming up on the celebration of the resurrection. We're coming up on Easter Sunday. Where we as Christians look and we look at and we, we are excited about what Jesus did that Easter morning. The resurrection and his life. And his overcoming sin and death in the grave. And we, we are excited and we are passionate. And we'll invite people to church that day. And we'll tell them about the music that we're going to sing. And we'll tell them about, the, uh, about being a part of being here that day. And it's, it's the height of everything we do. But tell them about what he did for you to get there. Tell them about the cross of Christ. Tell them about him leaving the glory and splendor of heaven to be born in the greatest poverty that could be known to a human being and walking through this life and living sinless and going to a cross as your substitute. It was you that should have been on that cross. It was Darren Hood who should have been on that cross. It was Linda Donaldson who should have been on that cross. It was Jeremy Bryan who should have been on that cross. But it was God himself who went to that cross. It was God himself who spoke the world into existence who went and suffered on what the people around him thought was the most foolish and shameful object in all the world. And he bore all of that shame 
and all of that sin for you. Tell them the message of the cross. You can't have the celebration of the resurrection without the message of the cross. And this morning, if you're here and you're a Christian, I want you to take just a few minutes here this morning as we have a time of invitation, and I want you to reflect on your relationship with Jesus and what he did for you at the cross. And then I want you to purpose in your heart that you're going to leave here and you're going to pray in earnest that you'll tell someone else about the message of the cross because it's changed your life from the inside out. If you're here this morning and you're sitting on a pew and you've heard the words that I'm talking about and you know that there's never come a place in your life where you've asked for forgiveness of your sins. 25 years ago, I was sitting right where you are. I was lost. I had no relationship with Christ. My parents prayed for me continuously, but most everyone else had probably written me off as just a hopeless cause. But not Jesus. But not Jesus. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, spoke to my heart and pointed me to Christ and told me that there was a better way of life. And I took it. And I want to tell you something. 25 years later, I've made some good decisions in my life. But 25 years later, it's still the greatest decision that I ever made. And I will go to my grave saying that it's about the cross of Christ for a sinner like me. Darren, if you would come this morning as we stand, Father. I thank you for your love, and I thank you for your mercy, and I thank you for your grace, and I thank you for your words that are in Scripture. My ability to tell them and explain them this morning is nothing compared to the ability of the Holy Spirit to take those words and to put them in the hearts and the minds of people here this morning. I pale in comparison, God, to trying to to just to declare this the way that it should be. But God, all I can say is to those who are here, the cross of Christ made all the difference in my life. And I pray that if there is one here this morning who's never been forgiven of their sins, or maybe they have put their faith and trust in other things, their own works, or their own religious life, Father, I pray that you would speak to them this morning and show them that Christ is enough. And that when we make Christ our Savior, there is a new desire in our lives to live the way that pleases you. Father, if there are any here this morning who need to follow in believers' baptism or membership, whatever it is that we need to do, maybe people just want to come and pray. Whatever it is, God, I pray that we will be obedient this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.